What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Human Animal Podcast. Today, I've got an awesome interview for you with movement coach Ben Metter. Before we jump into the episode, just a quick note from our first ever Human Animal Podcast sponsor. That's right. We have sponsors now. This is getting legit. Uh, Check them out. This episode of the Human Animal Podcast is brought to you by Shama Sandals. Shama Sandals are my favorite piece of footwear to wear throughout the year. They have an awesome power lace strapping system that really keeps the sandal snug on your feet. It's easy to get on and off, so you can switch to barefoot wherever you're at and then come right back into the sandals. They have awesome grip, and they really train way better for agility and speed movements than any other sandal I've worn, and they're comfortable to boot. The only sandal I trust as much as my feet is a Shama sandal. So go ahead, go over to their website. You can go to shamasandals.com backslash human dash animal. And then just put in in your coupon code HA podcast to get a free pair of the power straps with any sandals purchase. Guys, check them out. They're an awesome company. They've been doing good work for a long time. They're one of the few uh, pieces of equipment that I always have on hand and you won't regret grabbing yourself a pair. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Ben Metter. What's up guys. This is Matt from the human animal podcast. I am so lucky today to have Ben Metter from Ben Metter coaching over in the UK, London, right? London town. That's right. Yep. Uh, on the podcast today, I first heard about Ben's work, I believe, through uh, Rafe Kelly a couple years ago, and I've been following him on Instagram, social media outlets, as well as through his uh, email listserv, which he gives some good golden nuggets on. Uh, the only thing I'm bummed about the email, Ben, is that you talk about the classes you're having, and I'm you know, a 13-hour flight away, so I can't <laughs> join, but they sound amazing, and um, guys, I really recommend following him and we're going to be talking today about a lot of different stuff, movement, play, um, but especially moving with the seasons, which is something that, that Ben has been brave enough to do, which is move a, a big part of his coaching practice outdoors. So I'm really excited to explore that with him today and just excited to, to connect and, and share his, his vision and his um, hero's journey with you all. So Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, um, let's start off. Uh, how did you get involved in, in movement coaching and kind of what's your background and, uh, how did you meet Rafe and all, all the rest? Um, well, I try, I'll try my best to keep it as short as possible because it kind of involves a little bit of a life story. Um, but it's, you know, very, uh, poignant to my journey, I believe. So I kind of was a sporty kid, let's say, you know, or it, sport was a big part of my family. Very lucky. My parents are always very active always very always had a physical culture you know they met in kung fu class uh so kung fu was all around kung fu movies my dad used to run a lot be a lot into track and field so it's kind of always without them being too dictatorial about it it was just it was just part of the culture i just they led by example and so i got into a lot of sports mainly track and field um basketball and it was you know i would like to say reasonably talented but essentially just started to taper off in regards to the commitment needed. I never really stuck at one sport. And uh, I, you know, towards the end of my teens, without, say, for example, college or uh, school as an outlet for sports, my physical sort of practice just went to zero. 
and I basically became sedentary. I got a desk job, and for around my 20s, I pretty much was doing what a lot of people probably are doing at the moment in uh, our culture, which is being desk-bound and then fighting for, you know, trying to find the best way to stay active and exercising and so on, and really becoming disenchanted with that. And it was through the process of thinking there must be more to, you know, exercise. Maybe I can find some innate, uh, uh, some intrinsic value rather. And can I actually enjoy what I'm doing? And it set me on my path of discovering, um, you know, it's a bit hazy, you know, uh, what happened first. But loads of things started opening up to me and it started changing my practice. So um, I, for example, can remember the effect that, you know, the movie 300. Yes, this is Sparta. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, that I think it must have been a very small segment about how the actors were being trained by Jim Jones. And to cut a long story short, that brought up the the idea of functional training, actually training like the actors, training the actors like they could actually perform like a Spartan. You know, it might not be very close, not to you know, to, not to take any digs or anything, but it really sparked like, oh yeah, that makes sense. What, you know, what are we training for? Is it just for the usual kind of shame and guilt of aesthetics or a chore that we have to? Or why do we actually train for something useful? And that led me on a path of kind of, uh, I guess, at some point, um, cross-pollinated with a sort of paleo culture, you know, so get it into the nutrition side of things. Uh, barefoot running, I must have stumbled across at some point. And then parkour came up on my radar which I didn't really act on. I just loved the do documentary, the jump documentary that most people can, uh, you know, sort of uh, point at as being the catalyst. And yeah, just what came up on my radar, I didn't really act on it. I then realized that the gym is just not doing it for me. You know, it was stop start, not really sustainable. And I took up martial arts again. I done dabbled in martial arts as a kid. And I basically started to uh, do karate. I think it was um, Kyokushin or a hybrid of Kyokushin. Um, Kyokushin and it had been 10 years since I'd done anything like that and it was great I really got immersed and embodied in the experience again and that also helped as well um, and then I guess at some point I started parkour I took more seriously because my that's it my forward thinking sensei at the time um, she said it's all very well having these skills and be able to fight in this sort of scenario but I want you to have awareness of the street for example, because that's when you may be attacked from a self-defense perspective. And so she arranged um, a private session with one of the founders of Parkour Generations over here in the UK, Dan Edwards. And then that's mm. when, you know, Parkour really sort of, you know, sunk its teeth in, as it were, in a good way. It's like, wow, why, why haven't I been doing this? This just makes sense. This is what I was doing as a kid before, you know, we called it Parkour, you know, interacting with the environment, you know, cultivating that play vision. And yeah, that was definitely a huge milestone. And that led to find out about natural movements, which cross-pollinate with paleo and primal and all those other kind of buzzwords at the time. Found out about MoveNat, um, got certified by MoveNat and eventually became one of the certification instructors. And then people like Ido Patel came up on my radar, one of my forward-thinking friends at the time, you know, sort of said, you really got to look at this guy. And, you know, like when anyone recommends something, sometimes you're like, mm, yeah, it looks cool, but I'm okay. There was a workshop going on in Brighton, <laughs> you know, and um, oh, I really kicked myself now because it was when it probably was a very small numbers. Oh, yeah. When it was more modest, modest numbers, you know, and it was like down in Brighton. And I stupidly said, I've got something on and I regret it to this day. Uh, but he was way ahead before Ida was known. 
Uh, <laughs> but anyway, then I obviously found out about Edo, and who had a, another huge influence on me, another milestone, out of just taking this bigger movement perspective. And I started just on the quest of finding who's teaching movement where in London. Um, I came across various movement teachers. Um, and I told you it was a long one. I You're good, man. Decided, <laughs> <laughs> I eventually decided that just after I got promotion in my desk job, that I was already getting involved in my movement practice. It, it was developing. I was one of those annoying guys that would, uh, you know, say, tell you what to do as a friend. I'd, you know, be training my friends as a, Hey man, we lead a session. I was one of those guys. Yeah. But I still am. <laughs> and then eventually decided, Hey, why don't I just quit my job and try and do this for real? Try and become a movement coach. And, uh, I was lucky enough to take a movement coach, um, workshop run by Lee Saxby and Tara Wood. It was, a uh, for wild fitness they're a yes. awesome uh, mm -hmm. you heard of them yeah i've heard i heard of them through uh frank forensic yes exactly yeah. frank came over and um uh they, they hosted frank last year in the uk and that's where i also found out about frank and they seemed to get all these um movement figures that was really had come up on my radar all in one place and i thought this is too good to be true as my introduction into how do i educate myself and this is my first kind of formal course um, they were influenced by uh, uh, sort of a, a bigger picture of the world, you know, very influenced by Frank. He's on their um, board of experts. And then you had Lee Saxby, who's fantastic with uh, biomechanics and, uh, you know, barefoot running is kind of what he's known for. But just an overall movement perspective, how to look at the, uh, the human body. Um, we had natural movement via MoveNat as well. And, yeah, it was just seemed awesome. So that was my first kind of a formal course that sealed the deal. Um, holy moly I handed in my notice um, <laughs> and then the place that it was uh, held at uh, a gym called gloves boxing club uh where lee, which lee owned at the time i basically put my foot in the door and said hey man can i be an apprentice and uh, he said yes and then i got in there and the rest is kind of was learning on the job watching lee and um, tony riddle who's uh, another movement coach uh they both ran the place and yeah, learning from um, really great teachers and cutting my teeth that way. So how long have you been training now? So usually I reckon from a movement perspective, I guess, uh, since I started martial arts again, probably 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And when did you start coaching? Uh, officially, I would say 2011 when I, um, I was officially left my desk job and I started teaching my first class. Okay, so... Uh, we're on eerily similar timelines, um, because I, uh, I was teaching English in Japan after I graduated, uh, school in 2009 and came across similar, similar people. Like, uh, initially got hooked by the CrossFit functionality type thing. Started mm -hmm. uh, listened to a lot of Kelly Starrett and movement and then that bled into paleo which bled into uh movement natural movement primal parkour play and then it just took off from there Edo, you know so yeah. it seems like similar and then i i uh, i actually started coaching in 2011 as well so cool. uh when we got back to the states so yeah crazy man so uh, there were there was a lot there yes and that was part one <laughs> <laughs> okay well, well we can do part two in just a second i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> oh okay i'm ready for it it's fine um cool. 
the first thing I thought of it, like, uh, how cool is it that your parents met in a Kung Fu class, by the way? That's, I know like, it's uh, awesome, isn't it? It's, that's it's, super it's surreal, sweet. You know? Um, so as you're, you're learning from all these different sources and you're trying to put them into your practice, how did, how did you feel like evolved? Because that's, that's a kind of interesting process, uh, from my vantage point. Cause I think everybody, not just coaches, but also people end up having these different influences that come into their life that inspire them in different ways. And yes. that kind of process of melding things together um, is, is kind of unique to the individual. So, um, how did you find yourself adopting this information? Was it like you would get really into one thing for Mm -hmm. a certain period of time and then you would kind of like, you know, put that on hold and, and jump into another thing? Was it just all kind of thrown together? What was it? Uh, What was it like adopting all that? a, A bit of both. Um, I kind of look into it as, you know, uh, like each time you get a new source of information, you might go in a workshop or just something you read becomes this new romance. And, you know, you have this honeymoon period and all you can think about is that thing. And, you know, if I've just been in a work, it still happens to this day, you know, I think it's a yeah. natural cycle of things. If I've just been in a workshop somewhere on a weekend, um, all of my students and clients the next week, guess what they're getting? <laughs> they're getting everything on, you know, cause I really want to immerse myself in it. And then, you know, the kind of um, the, the well-known process of, you know, the almost cliche process of um, discarding what is not useful and adding what's uniquely your own. Um, and then maybe you don't – really sounds bad, this analogy, because I'm kind of thinking almost like a harem of sources. <laughs> and you kind of put um, one of your wives on the back burner for a while and you forget about them and you have a new romance. And then you realize that that wife was always the one for you. And I think I'll stop there anyway because yeah. it's uh, uh, I, I just checked movementharem.com is still available if you want to snag awesome. it. Yeah, I will. Yes, hold that for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did go through that process. I mean, uh, I've completely forgotten his name, so I apologize. Uh, somebody I follow on Instagram. But the way he put it is like these three phases. Uh, one, um, how he categorizes a coach, let's say. And I like to look at it being a bit more fluid. And I believe the first one was like first you might be a collector. You collect information, mm-hmm. don't really have a, too much of a thought process, and maybe you're not quite grasping the principles. And I guess one could say you're just kind of trying it out parrot fashion. Parrot fashion. Then uh, the next phase would be the curator. You're getting a bit better at filtering through the noise and sort of adapting it to you know, your principles. And then the last one is essentially, I think, if it's not the exact word, it's along these lines, you become a craftsman. Uh, where you really know how to take principles and add, you know, uh, 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 you really understand the principles of things rather than just taking information and regurgitating it, if that makes sense. So I think I go back and forth between those three, collecting, curating, and trying my best to add what's my own and and, and craft and go off on tangents and so on. Yeah, that's kind of in. That's an interesting way to think about it because I've actually told clients before that, you know, my job is almost to be a curator of information because yes. we're, in, we're in an age of overload of information, overwhelm. Um, and honestly, for me, the amount of information that people are putting out all the time can be overwhelming. Definitely, uh, definitely more so in the beginning. Um, I used to think of it like a, a sponge and then like, uh, what would be the other one? Like it was, I was like a sponge, like I'd soak up as much as I could and then I'd need to shut down every outside influence and just like, mm. uh, 
figure out how it all worked for me. And then I'd go through this period where I just wanted to absorb as much information as possible. And then it's like, no, I don't want I don't want any more information. I want to just figure out how this works. And it was just that balance back and forth. So like when I was writing my book, I didn't read anything like nothing. And then now that I'm out of the book, I'm like, Oh my gosh, look that I'm going to do this course. I'm going to do this course. I'm going to read this thing. Um, even pick fiction back up, you know, which, uh, that's been that's been pretty fun for me too, actually. Uh, you know, when Rafe was here, and guys, if you haven't heard the the Rafe Kelly pod interview we did a couple episodes back, you should definitely go check it out. But Rafe is also a huge fan of like sci fi fantasy, mm-hmm. and um, when he was talking about some of his favorite books, uh, I always grew up on sci fi fantasy. It made me want to uh, stop the never ending process of self improvement. Like that feeling like, oh, this new book about how I'm going to do this thing better. You know, uh, I was always on the lookout for that. How am I going to get a new technique? I'm going to get this new thing. And I, I was just pouring. felt like if I spent any time not on that, I was somehow like shortchanging myself and, mm-hmm. and my clients. And I started yeah. listening to uh, just fantasy books for fun. So, was, uh, And ironically, they're inspiring in different ways. Um, not necessarily directly movement, but uh, they imbue me with a certain energy and passion and kind of uh, fervor. Just reading through like epic tales of of heroism and struggle and triumph, and it almost energizes me in a completely different way to get in the gym and coach and be around people. So, uh, another one of those times where you realize you've gone too far one way on the pendulum. So yes. it's been really fun. Um, kind of uh, yeah, two things please, that kind of brings to it. mind is uh, that uh, especially when I, you know, I really like the idea of you talking about, you know, you feeling like a sponge and go through these stages. Um, oh, I just remember the guy, by the way, it's Nick Winkleman, uh, who's oh, yeah. the collector, the curator, the craftsman. That's yep. the guy. Um, he, he's really great on coaching cues, external versus internal. And yes. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Uh, Rafe put me onto him actually. Uh, was going to say, yeah, Frank Forensic, um, you know, he talks about oscillation a lot. And I really love that word oscillation, you know, to have these, these peaks and these troughs and to um, um, have these, this contrast rather than kind of flatlining in the middle. So you might have, uh, you know, times of striving and, and times of rest or times, times of deep engagement and authentic rest. And it's super important, I feel, especially lately to, to find this rhythm rather than just in the middle somewhere, you know, kind of overloaded. And kind of when you get new sources of information or new inspiration, I think it's healthy to really go deep um, into it and, and not feel guilty that other things maybe are, you know, they're still going to be there. You know, the essential things you'll, you'll deal with and not feeling guilty of, um, yeah, maybe narrowing your, your, your focus for a little bit um, and going deep and then coming back out, resting as you, as you need to or widening your focus. So, you know, Frank's a huge influence on me. I love the way he articulates the bigger picture of, um, mm, you know, such a good writer to have panorama. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, panoramic view versus, you know, the specialism is, is, is essential too, but making sure that now and then we do, make sure we step back and take a big picture view of things. So how do you share that perspective with your clients? Do you feel like there's a, that people who are coming to you are already looking for someone who's looking for the big picture? Um, I'm really curious too about how having your classes uh, or some of your classes outdoors, how that mm-hmm. 
what type of audience that attracts and if you feel like people are already more receptive to the message. Um, yeah. Yeah. Essentially, yes. Um, I find, um, as far as I know, uh, most people that find me have kind of already gone their own journey. So um, I don't need to essentially do any convincing, etc. You know, what I'm doing is quite niche. I'm basically saying I'm outside pretty much. I do teach inside. Um, it's not that I'm against teaching inside. Uh, I, I started teaching outside mainly out of necessity. Uh, the gym I mentioned before in part one of that, uh, uh, my, my, part of my life story, yeah. um, closed, basically closed down and I thought, what am I going to do? Okay. I'm just going to continue teaching classes outside cause I was already, already dabbling in it. And that led to like part two of my evolution. It was the best thing that happened because it allowed me to really embrace, uh, what, uh, I guess I'm really trying to share today. And that is connecting with nature, connecting with tribe. And, you know, the environment really does make a difference for me. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of people are finding me, I guess, because they are looking for natural movement or an outdoor class or quite commonly they are tired of the usual working in the gym. Mm. Um, maybe they've they've got interested in a few of my influences that I, you know, uh, that I put on my website as, you know, kind of homage to say these are the people that really influenced me. And say, hey, I'm into such and such. I found your website via that. So, yeah, definitely people are finding me. They've gone on the journey, um, which is good in some ways. But also from my perspective, from a bigger picture, if I want to help more people, I'm constantly thinking, how do I find a balance of not diluting what I'm passionate about sharing and mm. reaching people that don't know what they don't know? I guess, you know, yeah. I'm not saying my way is the right way, but I would love a chance to share. And if you like it, it's cool. If you don't, it's fine. But people, the people that find me, how can I put it? They are, it's almost like they, um, they need the least amount of help. They're, they're, they're going to be fine. They've already started their own journey and, and they've already started collecting and curating. And hence why I guess they probably failed me. So that's what I think thus far, yes. at least. So what do you think the next step is to be able to, to, reach a broader audience you know this is always something i've heard people talk about um like uh rob wolf from from you know uh paleo solution fame would used to say like he he didn't have energy anymore to uh try to help people that didn't want his help like mm -hmm. he needed to just focus on the people who really valued uh his his time and energy um so i I also have that desire to try to spread this, uh, spread a message about, about play and tribe and just like reconnecting and, uh, finding balance in your life and, and through your movement practice. Um, yet, you know, I, I don't know how successful I have been at doing that for people who didn't already, you know, have some interest. So I wonder, sure. you know what the what the path is like and is it really kind of like the uh the apple strategy where you just go for the the diehard people and then you expect it to filter down through culture you know find find your thousand true fans and then let it filter down or if there's something else that we're missing you know i'm probably more the former i think i will kind of stick to what i i'm passionate about and hope that it will filter down from there and if there's a spectrum of kind of um I'm st basically I'm stubborn and uh, I, <laughs> and I don't like to compromise often, you know, so it's kind of like essentially what I'm doing is like, this is what I like and it's cool. You don't have to like it, but I'm not going to water it down or dilute it to reach more people. You know, I'm not suggesting that's what you uh, meant. So in short, I wish I knew. 
I yeah. really don't know what the balance is to try and, uh, yeah, to reach more people. I'm just being more aware of it now, so kind of thinking, uh, you know, especially since I've become a father, kind of looking at the bigger picture of what what world are they are we raising them into? Um, and that starts for me at least making me think about okay, how can I help? What can I do? You know, um, and in the context of uh, whatever it is I'm doing right now, uh, facilitating movement classes, etc. You know, that's where I'm going to start, and perhaps start looking at uh, community, do my bit for you know community, and and just take it from there. You know, I haven't got a plan. I haven't got any answers. Uh, otherwise, I'd be trying it. But we're, try- I'm, we're slowly trying different things, starting to realize within the niche that I'm in, um, for example, that is very underrepresented. Um, uh, there's not much representation for women. You know, 70% mm-hmm. of my audience is men in a certain age, ra- age range. Um, starting to finally do family classes, for example, and just doing my bit that way to kind of, hey, if there's a need looks like there's a need here i'm going to try and help there how i can um yeah so how have the family classes been going so we're gonna pilot uh, the pilot class is going to happen in uh september mid-september i've got a definite date so i've been talking about them for a long time as a kind of interim uh i, I still do these we do a free kind of community event called nature jam where you know it was initially intended to just try and uh, meet up with other families that want to be out inside in nature and it's kind of grown to everyone's welcome. So the first one hasn't happened yet. Um, I've basically procrastinated. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, we I teach a kids class and I teach an adult class that are um, play based and movement based. Mm-hmm. Um, at our more you know traditional strength and conditioning gym. Um, little ninjas, is that right? Yeah, little ninjas. That's right. That's and I've I've been playing around with. Um, trying to get the parents like i try to get parent involvement even in the little ninja class to be like hey you guys can come play dodgeball with us at the end like jump mm-hmm. on in it's fun and some parents will and some parents won't but um i'm really interested in that same sphere of could i get uh more parent kid involvement in a class and i've had a couple people ask about it yeah. and uh so yeah i i'll i'd love to just hear how that goes and keep tabs on that. Cause I think that's a really cool idea is to start getting people like if we're getting outside of that, um, very metric input in results out type of fitness culture mm-hmm. and more into, I don't know how to say like the softer elements of what a movement practice can bring, like the, the tribe, the connection, the time together, learning to move together in different ways and, and having someone help facilitate different types of experiences for your entire family. Um, rather than like, well, did I increase my squat this week or et cetera? Yes. Right. Um, so I, I, I like that, that, that family class could be something like that for, you know, uh, for, for adults to interact with their kids and, and get away from that, that hard data type fitness. For sure. I agree. It's a, it's, it's a definite way you and I and, 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 and our peers can, you know, start making a difference. I believe, you know, if we're looking at culture um, and it's a huge, obviously dynamic, complex thing, you know, start simple. Um, 
like you said, I, I had similar in that. I've done a, a, the odd child's class here, and I imagine their parents wouldn't be interested in getting involved. It's kind of like, you know, it's the kids' class, it's for them, and it's almost like your, your, your daycare. You know, it's kind of harsh, but sometimes that's how it is. Yeah. And um, I've always had an open invitation to my adult classes that you can bring your children. And sometimes yeah. some people have, and I said they're welcome. Um, so that, hence now I'm explicitly saying that no, it's a family class, meaning that you need to have one adult at least with your children. And the idea is that I think I, I'm just thinking, what would I like somewhere where I can have a safe space for my child to be uh, to, to to see other adults moving with children, see other children moving. And yeah, I have my biases that being in nature and so on, whatever it is we're going to be doing and to normalize that so that it's not weird because essentially, I guess what we're doing is weird to the status quo. Yeah, I love that idea. Just I hadn't even really, you know, for me, it was all about um, just, yeah, a free place to play with the kids. But the idea of letting other, not just yourself, but other groups of parents and kids model for your own child, like that's okay. Mm. That's tribe. That's everyone working together. I love that idea and framed it in that way before. Um, so let's talk about moving with the seasons because we're talking about, you, you love being outdoors. Uh, and you know, I think the initial thing people are going to think if they hear, okay, you're outdoors all year. Like they're going to think it's cold in winter though. Isn't there snow on the ground or it's wet and rainy or it's so hot. Like we have, uh, big garage doors at the gym. And there'll be mornings when we open up the garage doors and it's a little humid out and it's like 74 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty nice. Like homes are between 68 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit usually here. So it's like, it goes up, you know, a half a degree, a degree, and it gets a little bit humid and people are dying. Like they're instantly like, (laughs) oh my gosh, shut the doors, turn on the AC. What is going on? This is horrible. Yes. (laughs) So uh, that's the initial, you know, kind of lashback I could think of. But let's talk about like what the 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 fun part, the benefits that dealing with all that all the weather bound um, things uh, in nature. Yeah, cool. Uh, so essentially, we have most people's practice or exercise, whatever they want to call it, um, to sort of take an idea from frank it kind of permeates everything i think about often him and rafe and um, tom wexler actually uh, it's kind of like a sense of rhythm and change um when moving in our habitat this primal sense you know being aware of and via our senses it's been replaced by this uni season of like a year-round controlled environments everything's just right uh, no oscillation you know no contrast and um essentially with move of the seasons it's didn't necessarily start as deep as that it's essentially i just needed a name and i realized that you know it's as simple as that not to over you know just to not to mystify things and it became something deeper from there um because yeah training i mean i have saturday classes all year round and inevitably in the winter seasons it's quieter and so i'm often trying to encourage people that um there are benefits to to adversity and you can appreciate the luxury you have in your life if you actually, you know, get cold, get wet. You're going to appreciate the hot shower and so on. And sometimes it works, but I'll be honest, it's still something we're trying to, you know, find a way to frame it to to to, to get people to understand that our resiliency relies on 
on adaptation and if we are constantly comfortable you know insert you know cliche here comfort is a silent killer and, and so on and Rafe is you know speaks about this you know much more articulate than I you know we need to be adaptable and resilient humans where we need to put ourselves in um, variable situations and so on so I started to then focus on okay let's focus on the fun side of things as you put it of, of move of the seasons and uh, maybe the you know the more abstract ideas so it kind of then like I said I just needed a name I believe it, yeah, not I believe, I know. Um, Sebastian Foucan, mm-hmm. he was on a podcast a while ago, on a London Real podcast, and it's just a short bit, about a few seconds, uh, where he mentioned how his training changes with the seasons. And a friend of mine points it uh, my way, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense, because, you know, uh, it's kind of obvious when you're thinking about it like that. If you're training outside, which obviously he does, your training is going to change from the more simple kind of practical sense that, you have to adapt to move to the conditions the environment gives you. You know, mm-hmm. if it's cold, you have to stay warm. If it's wet and slippery and you're doing parkour, you have to be, you know, a bit more focused and engaged. Uh, when it's summer, you know, you are, you don't have to keep, keep warm. Maybe you are more expressive. You're taking your time. You're strutting around a bit more. Everybody's body language is different. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I always say like in, in summer, I feel like a sprinter. I feel like, you know, I strut around in my best Usain Bolt impression. And in winter, I'm kind of more like an endurance athlete or at the very least, I'm kind of like focused. Let's, let's get, let's get it done. And I like, and I enjoy both, you know, they both have their benefits. Um, so yeah, it's, and the other comparison I use is, uh, you know, how most people can relate to how they eat seasonally. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you um, are eating what's in season. You know, I'm sure people do try um, and eating locally, et cetera. But just how you feel about how you feel eating in summer compared to winter. In the yeah. summer, you will not want to eat heavy, comforting stews. And in the winter, perhaps that's what you want, you know. And so playing on that and then going deeper and just realizing you know from my own practice that's yeah there there are different it feels like there's different phases and different feelings and 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 different ways i want to train and i was doing it intuitively and sebastian Foucan helped me kind of articulate that you know set off a catalyst and how does he put it he um if i remember correctly he says that in uh spring he calls it awakening um and summer i believe is expression um autumn he calls smooth i believe mm. and winter he calls something like sanctuary or going within your bubble mm. um, and i think it's a very interesting you know you might not be able to relate exactly to how he sees it but i can you know a lot of them rang true for me yeah they evoke a certain feeling each each word does yes yeah like smooth um, like autumn is like my favorite season is kind of this bittersweet um you know the leaves are starting to fall you know that winter's coming um but the colors are so beautiful it gives this lovely beautiful fanfare you know to kind of you know sugarcoat it a little bit you know look how beautiful it is around and change and so on and and then you Mm -hmm. kind of like yeah accept that cool um rather than oh no it's going to get cold and moaning about it embrace the benefits of um in my case feeling more focused when I'm having my movement sessions, for example, and um, time to reflect and so on. Just a quick break to let you guys know about my ebook, Playful, Unleash the Power of Play. I believe that play is an essential human nutrient that we all need to tap into and nurture in our lives. Well, this is 90 pages 
of activities, concepts, ideas surrounding play that really build a framework and a structure for you to understand the importance of play in your life, but also implement it and have a ton of fun doing it. It will keep you physically active and healthy for a long time by embracing this uh, mode of movement. And I hope you guys check it out. And all you have to do is go to unleashthepowerofplay.com. I've got more info on it, reviews. You can drop your email there and get six free games, some of my favorite games I play at the Ninja Academy. This has been a, a labor of love, and I'm so excited to share with you guys. So check it out and let me know what you think. Now let's get back to the episode. No, you're, I mean, it makes so much sense. We were so bound to land and environment for so long. And it's only recently that we've been able to totally take command of that, uh, to the degree and humidity of, of our house to how much time we even spend outside. Um, cause we're just not reliant on it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it, it really does. And we could get geeky about like uh, time in nature and being in the the physical benefits and the mental benefits and and that, yeah. but there's it goes deeper than that. It's almost like a, there's a there's a narrative within nature. There's a story, a story yes. arc, like you're talking about that we have celebrated as humans for millennia. Um, the changing of the seasons and how, what that, what each season means and brings with it. Right. Yes. So I really, I love that. I love using a movement practice as a tool to explore all these other things that you might not think of a movement practice doing. I just love how it can connect you to these different ideas. Um, so you were going to say something. I didn't want to cut you off. I was going to ask I about maybe giving some examples of, of, the seasons and stuff that you might do in each season. Sure. I mean, well, just to, um, yeah, just agree with you and you, you artic articulated perfectly there. You know, I love, uh, the fact of story, you know, um, as you, um, as Joseph Ruchek of fighting monkey mentioned in the last post podcast, awesome podcast, by the way, Thank um, you. about attaching stories to your, something along the lines of attaching stories to your practice or, or, or to, to, to your sport and in speaking in metaphorical language is super important, you know, um, and a lot of the teachers I'm influenced by, you know, uh, uh, Joseph, um, Tom Wexler, Rafe Kelly, um, Ida Patel, they're very good at giving, helping you find your narrative, um, because that's what helps you ultimately uh, find meaning and it's going to be more sustainable, more nourishing, and uh, you're more likely to learn from it other than always focusing on, you know, the physicals, the, the, the classical approach, as Frank Frenzich would say, you know, mm. the numbers and so on. You know, I'm, I'm very much, as it stands, more towards the romantic side of things because that's what I need right now. You know, maybe in winter I might switch to more like, okay, let's get stuff done. I want to improve, you know, I'm training for yeah. specific goals, but right now I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of enjoying the creative, uh, and, 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 ref, you know, reflective kind of, um, and all dealing with all the impulses that being outside and how my practice is changing and, and being aware of what's changing. Um, it's really cool. Mm. So, uh, let's go, let's go start with spring awakening. I just think like getting outside again, brisk air, so excited that the sun's up. Um, 
lots of like wet grass, right? That's, those are like some of the images that come up. What types, how do you take like that concept of spring and translate it into kind of a, a movement session? When it's kind of this, um, it, of course, it's not sudden, just like the seasons change gradually. You've kind of gotten used to these short days and then you get this wisp of kind of it's, um, hey, it's getting uh, longer to get uh, dark and it's this promise, you know, it's kind of ex this excitement. And uh, especially as uh, we are moving a lot around where near trees are and you start to see those first buds. Um, you're used to playing in the trees where they're bare and that has its own beauty, being able to see everything. Your kind of your, 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 your landscape has changed, but then all of a sudden the green starts again. And this is this sudden just rush of like, wow, everything's changed. Um, it definitely puts a spring in your step. Um, <laughs> so in the spring after <laughs> very funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm terrible. I tried to try my best not to have too many bad puns, but I enjoy them. I'm my, my, my wife loves puns. So you're, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah in spring um after a kind of more subdued winter um going within oneself and reflecting um yeah it's kind of starting to because uh, i'm thinking about how i used to think as a track and field athlete or at least how your coaches would say you know you, you're preparing for the season as it were um in summer where you're going to really um explore and express yourself or compete and so it's less of the, the the competition now, but I'm more thinking in summer when I'm probably going to be doing, say, the most adventurous things, say, in my parkour practice. Um, I, I am kind of at least got that legacy of thinking, right, uh, let's start planning for that where I'm feeling probably at my optimal mood. Everyone's generally happier in, in summer when there's more light. And, uh, yeah, a combination of kind of like as much as winter has its awesomeness about it, you know, it's starting to get lighter and that peaks your mood as well so yeah just in general um in the winter I, I probably would have been inside a little bit more so now i'm starting to go outside a bit more in spring and um in winter as i'm inside i'm going to use the tools that uh, make sense inside you know so if i'm going to do more structured and quantifiable strength work um it tends to be a peak i tend to do more of it in the winter because um, for example it doesn't make i'm not against you know uh, uh, I, I think it's important i'm more likely to be doing you know two to three to four strength sessions a week um in the winter uh then in the summer is minimal if any mm. so having been inside a lot and having prepared and, and, and leaning towards more of the preparation pre pre um, preparation type work um it kind of like i want to drive this car a bit now i've been tuning it all over winter you know take the cover off and let's get out of the garage and and start seeing you know what i've been playing with and see what i need to tweak so i don't know if that makes sense it's a very tough thing to explain because it does change of course it's very dynamic but it's kind of this transition phase of like what have i done in winter you know i've laid down some foundations um, let's start testing the water and uh kind of thinking about what am i going to be doing in you know what adventures am i going to get up to in summer yeah it makes sense um so with your with with like uh your classes what types of of themes are you hitting on do you hit like a little bit of joint integrity work and body work and spinal waves and positional you know like awareness type stuff and then you're going into skill work and then games or like there's not necessarily a set structure to it and how i wonder how does that structure change through the seasons or does it do we try to hit certain elements all the time it sounds like you know the the clear delineation is like strength work uh focus strength work 
in the winter and kind of like more movement expression and creativity in the summer? Yeah, I can um, thus far. I mean, because I've not long been thinking about it um, as much as I am currently. So um, that tends to be a pattern for sure. Um, so my classes, I tend to tends to represent, you know, what, what I, my practice, because, you know, I'm essentially sharing what I'm passionate about. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's what's easy for me. So I, I have like, you know, three sort of general themes, you know, no class is the same, you know, I, I just can't, but we do tend to explore these three main areas and, um, sort of very, uh, a lot of my teachers tend to sort of break this up, um, similarly actually, but lately I'm kind of thinking more about it, how say Tom Wexler works. I spent a lot of time with him recently and you kind of have a self-practice where we are looking at things like, you know, body control and, and, and prerequisites and mobility and strength and so on. Um, but in my particular case at the moment, when it's looking, we're also looking at expression and, and things that can cultivate imagination. So I'm doing a lot of dance and that's permeating, that's, that's going down into my classes. So self-practice where you're looking at this kind of internal freedom as um, yourself and Rafe have talked about and it's quite commonly um, spoken about. And then we have um, like a, a social practice, a group practice, a partner work, you know, where it's more about communication mm-hmm. um, and the complexity, you know, of another human being. Um, the interactors, we call them in the we play, you know, it can be cooperative, competitive, um, you know, um, competitive or uh, in somewhere anywhere in between rough and tumble play and rough housing. And then the third one would be kind of inter- interacting with one's environment. Mm-hmm. So uh, this kind of external freedom, um, locomotion, this truest sense, you know, running, climbing, uh, balancing. I would like to say swimming, but my swimming is not fantastic. <laughs> so As long as you don't sink. Yeah, exactly. I, I can swim, but, you know, it needs some work. So we have these three um, kind of themes and what I don't really care so much what goes into those, uh, those those containers. You know, I just think something for the self where it's quite you know selfish and it's also um, preparing you and, and, and you're going within and then something where you're communicating with others, looking outward and then something uh, with the environment dealing with reality hmm. uh, a bit more. And yeah, I like that. You know, I, uh, yeah, environmental, uh, individual and then uh interaction that i have similar framework that i try to work with when i playing games and stuff we you know i kind of try to go from the idea of you know locomotive manipulative combative is like a really nice concept from uh move nat that i picked up um and then also interplaying that with the individual practice with a partner practice and with a large group practice and you know uh individual practice tends to be very explorative in nature where a um, partner practice is very much about that connection and really responding to another person's um individual needs and, and communication and then that big group i think of that as like just a creative explosion because you have so many different influences all at once yeah and that just change the game changes so quickly um or sometimes not quickly enough because you have this this big group mentality going on so uh those kind of different layers but i like the idea of you know self-practice uh social practice and and environmental practice too that's like a cool i love i love like little buckets like that to just help Mm -hmm. simplify things and it's also interesting you know like 
I have this dichotomy in my life just because I program these very set rigid programs, uh, not rigid, but you know, uh, pre-planned four week programs for people in the gym, because Mm -hmm. that's what, uh, that's what we do. And it's like, if we want a specific strength adaptation for somebody, like we are going to give them like this, this periodized, you know, linear program. Um, but when I do the, the ninja classes, it's much more like you said, like I'm filling buckets. I, um, no, nothing things can be maybe similar ish for a, a month or so um that will hit on similar themes but they we're going to hit on them in as, as many different ways as we can um so like this month we're doing uh inverted life so helping people get comfortable being upside down whatever that means like whether you're hanging from a tree branch or whether you're on your hands or whether you're just kind of looking upside down while laying on the ground or seeing things from a different perspective or uh we're doing a lot of offhand work so like non-dominant side work with uh Mm -hmm. manipulation and movement uh puzzles um and i just try to think about all the different ways we can kind of embody that concept in the month um and uh, the the di- kind of dichotomy is that you know there's a part of my brain that's like well this is this is not very this is not like super scientific right like I I don't know if I'm getting a measurable specific outcome from what I do but then the kind of like romantic side of it or the intuitive side of it is it just feels so good like I love mm-hmm. those sessions and they are so much more malleable based on how people are responding and what the kind of the mood of the group is. Um, and in the long run, I end up seeing things. We just didn't track them. So like I have a client named Brian who came in and was like, uh, he will tell you like super uncoordinated, never really did sports growing up. He was in his mid forties and he was doing this three day a week strength training practice with me. And then Two, three years ago, I started uh, the ninja classes and he jumped in right at the beginning. He's doing them once or twice a week on top of his strength training. But the things we started noticing, it's like, hey, you know, it's been six months. You can catch a ball now with your left hand, like without thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Or you can, uh, your squat just looks so much more natural than it did when we were trying to stick to these very linearized, like, uh, part to whole approach rather than a whole to part approach. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's that constant, it's kind of like what you were talking about the oscillation. I kind of go back and forth Yeah. on, uh, which one is kind of at the center of my attention. Uh, but it makes it really interesting too, yeah, to I have think, to balance yeah. everything. And I think it's important to, um, um, to always be going back and forth in that spectrum of the classical and romantic approach. Um, and as we mentioned earlier on, you know, there's so much information, so many, so much potential, so many things you could explore, it can get overwhelming. And so what I found recently, cause I've, I've been too classical sometimes, you know, only training for a specific goal and then realizing why am I doing this for myself? And then also for my students, my clients, you know, they might be ticking those boxes in regards to, you know, what we can measure, but is it fulfilling? Is it meaningful, you mm-hmm. know, to them? You know, what is it given to them? You know, how is it nourishing them? Um, and then t- too far the other way, you know, very romantic is kind of like n- no structure at all. And then 
people thought like, oh, I can't see any progress. I'm getting disheartened yeah. and so on. So of course, I know it's cliche to say, but it is that balance or you're oscillating. And I find that to use the terminology, because I like it, the, the buckets, having those buckets helps helps me, you know, like taking the big picture approach view and then zooming in. Um, and part of the, those buckets are of the bigger picture of, you know, is it intrinsically rewarding? Is it play-based? You know, am I enjoying it because it's going to be sustainable? Okay, cool. It's like, like trying to um, split into three important areas I believe are important to my practice that nourishes me, the self, the, uh, the social and um, the environment. Mm. And then finding play within those. Mm-hmm. And then the zoom down again. Okay, through the play, we found something that we want to be better at improving one's performance. Or perhaps we need some resiliency there, or you know, we don't want to get injured, we want longevity, and then we can start feeding off into our training goals. And then that's where we can really get classical about it. And so I've kind of, you know, not been so hard on myself in that regard is kind of, I think I'm finding what's more enjoyable, what I think is uh, more useful for uh, being sustainable right now is that approach, zooming in. Because once you've gone the classical approach in the past, whatever is there, it's not going to go away. You're not going to forget how to to be a bit more linear or -hmm. to program something, you know. Mm -hmm. But the trial and error, because frankly, that's what it is, of trying to find what moves somebody, what really inspires them, that's much tougher to get in my opinion. Mm. So why not spend a lot of time there? I have people that come into the gym and again, it's a different, different culture, but it's, it's one of the heartbreaking things. I think I've mentioned this before is like, uh, on the podcast, but when people say like, ah, you know, I'm here because I have to be here, but I I don't enjoy any of this. Like this all, Mm. this all sucks. And I'm like, yeah, what? (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't born with movement genes. What? (laughs) I've, I've, interestingly, I've got, um, kind of, I shouldn't say this. I've got legacy clients and this is only terminology so take it with a pinch of salt and then sort of uh students so there's this interesting transition when i was working in the gym gloves boxing club um people were coming to the gym so it's like a shop window and it's interesting that the majority of them you know um, generalizing here seem to have that approach that sort of kind of exercise uh, a chore you know i have to be here you know the, the body is um i have to beat my body into submission you know um for whatever they're doing throughout their life the kind of you know having having kale salad and then having three desserts and thinking the kale salad is going to undo those three desserts kind of mentality mm-hmm. and then since i've moved myself outside and it's gone a bit more sort of uh you know people have to find me you have to really start searching um it's a different approach they they are more about that you know find it intrinsic uh value in what they're doing and it's more about the joy and the fun and yeah something that um is nourishing so if you had people and i'm i was just um uh we're coming up on an hour and i don't want to take too much of your time so we might have to do a part two sometime if you're willing uh oh, sure. like i was thinking about a winter session already planning one out for uh for the ninja class i'm like how fun would it be to take a bunch of adults and kids and go sledding someplace, hike through the woods, do a snowball fight, yes. uh, wrestle in the snow. Cause I was, I always loved, I like, I hate, I hated playing tackle football growing up because I just yeah. like didn't want to, but if we played tackle football in the snow, hundred percent. Okay. Like, I was <laughs> like, this is great. Yes. Um, uh, American football. I have to, yes. Yeah. But I actually, uh, grew up playing soccer or, football uh but 
uh yeah so like doing all that like and i think if you just talk to someone about that you're going to get a couple reactions you're going to get some people are going to be like heck yes let's go you're going to get people that are in the middle of the spectrum that are like well that i mean that sounds kind of fun but i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm a little too old for that and then you're gonna get the people that it just like scares them because uh they don't trust their body anymore they're worried about getting hurt or being outside or being cold or any of that and so it's interesting how we have just uh such a spectrum of different uh responses to uh a certain class so but i'm gonna run that class this winter for sure yeah yeah Yeah, i think that'd be awesome um if you had to uh give advice to you know, people like clients, uh, just people that want to move and play and explore more or, and, uh, coaches about, uh, getting back outside or filling which movement buckets to fill. Uh, what kind of, what kind of advice could you give people? Uh, I would say that first and foremost, I guess what it is finding something you really genuinely enjoy I know it sounds like I'm oversimplifying, but you know, you, you would, it's play to you is the priority to me because that will, that will help feed everything else. And for that, that's kind of, um, I can give my opinions. You know, I love to climb trees. I love to be in nature. I love to, uh, play games that take me back to my childhood. I love to interact with others. Um, and that might not be your cup of tea, but, um, you know, with uh for example involved with play you know we're, we're quite confident that these are some movement ca- uh, capacities and these play driven based practice uh, usually most people they'll find something within there and that can be the catalyst to then start thinking ah oh, this is not exercise it's not something i must do or supplementary i'm actually doing this for its own value so i would you know i would start there for me personally um it's easier to look at those things I did as a child, because ultimately that's pretty much who I admire the most. They're my greatest uh, teachers, you know, my children in particular, and uh, uh, how they found this um, optimal learning relationship with how they view the world. And that's all play-based, you know, mm. and there's a lot of parallels between, um, in my opinion, parenting and coaching. And Oh um, my gosh. You know, it's kind of the, all those childlike qualities that we admire. Um, imagination, playfulness, open-mindedness, you know, uh, energy and, you know, this honesty. Uh, it, we can learn a lot from them if you, um, you know, take a step back and sort of try and push your own adult agenda to the back, you know. Um, so I know it's oversimplifying. I haven't got any specific because no one size fits all. But what is play to you? You know, as Josef Fruchek uh, and Linda uh, say from Fighting Monkey, you know, what games do you play to keep yourself young? Uh, that's to me has got to be the starting point, you know? Yeah. Something along those lines, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's it. What game, what games do you play to keep you, keep you young? Yep. And if it's played to you, you're more likely to put the, uh, to fill in the gaps of, okay, I want to get better at that play. Um, say it is, you know, there is a room to improve performance. You're more likely to do the formal, the exercise, the training specific goals to feed that, or you want to keep on doing that and make sure you don't get injured. And again, that's going to feed your more formal, you know, classical approach. So I would start there. What about for uh, coaches? Like, I, I think, you know, what kind of encouragement or advice would you give them to start doing more classes outside? Because I, I feel like there is this subset of, of coaches and in, in kind of movement culture. Or they have been inspired by people like Ido or Rafe or, uh, 
you know, parkour, but they're like myself still within kind of a more classical uh, framework sure. or working out of a, they're working out of a, a you know, a, a globo gym, but they're really inspired by these ideas and they want to get started. Like uh, just from your experience, what kind of advice could you uh, give them or would you? Uh, well, yeah, it, it, again, it's always going to be general advice, you know, and uh, might seem obvious to say, but, you know, you've you got to start with your own practice, in my opinion. You know, if your practice doesn't represent what you want to coach, it's going to be tricky. Uh, you know, one can speculate it's going to be tricky. Um, so if you want to start facilitating classes outside, um, how much of your practice is outside? You know, really embody it, really experience it, your own findings, because ultimately um, we're not trying to be – you know, like we, we say, we have the knowledge on something, you know, we, this is all opinion, you know, it could all be wrong. <laughs> we are just sharing what we believe, you know, moves us. That's ultimately what I, I try my best to do. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. So first and foremost, I need to, to, to go and live it and um, get out there. Because um, it is, you have to be passionate about it. You have to believe in it um, because, yeah, winter, you know, winter's coming. <laughs> and, it get, <laughs> and it can get cold sometimes and you're thinking, ah, oh, people aren't, yeah, I, I'm used to it now. I know that numbers are going to drop off and I don't, you know, I don't get too stressed about it. And I'm just doing my best to slowly start to try and uh, articulate why I think it's good to be outside in winter too, as we briefly mentioned before. Um, but yeah, if you are not into it yourself within your own practice, it's going to be a cold, <laughs> a cold winter, you know, so you, yeah, you've got to really embrace it and, and, um, immerse yourself in it. Awesome. Uh, Ben, this felt like this flew by this hour. I would love to, to have you back on, um, maybe in the, the next couple months after you get uh family uh classes going and i get out maybe i'll try to get some family classes going too and we can reconvene and talk about lessons learned from uh, a family coaching you know sessions I would uh, love to. for people i think that could be really cool yeah um yeah and uh thanks for sharing uh your ideas your energy it was it was really a pleasure to get to talk to you Honestly, uh, I thought you articulated ideas really well. And I always go back on these podcasts and I, I, I listen to them one more time and man, I, I, <laughs> I feel like, uh, Matt, you said, um, uh, or, uh, ye, like 6,000 times and, uh, <laughs> I just did it again. Uh, the, the level that, uh, that you and, and Joseph and Rafe and, and all, all my guests, like the way you guys articulate your concepts is really inspiring. So thank you for, for spending the time. Thank you. It's very kind of you. And, uh, yeah, I feel, uh, honored to be mentioning those, uh, great thinkers and talkers and, you know, and the people that have really inspired me. Um, so thank you. I, I, I think I'm an Irma and an Ura personally, but if you say it was cool. <laughs> no, uh... <laughs> it was good, man. Seriously. It's good. <laughs> uh, all right. Guys, check out where can we find more of your stuff? Let's um, go ahead so and com, uh, on my website, of course. Uh, you can find me on Ben Meadow Coaching on Facebook and Ben Meadow on Instagram is probably the best places to find me, if not somewhere out in uh, the woods somewhere. All right. Guys, thank you for being here this week. Uh, and we'll be back soon with I got another couple interviews lined up that I'm super excited about. And, uh, We'll uh, see you on the flip side. Until then, I think we can say, please go outside <laughs> and have some fun.
Thanks again to Ben for being on the podcast and for being patient while I was moving and getting all my gear set up again so that I could uh, finalize the the recording process. And check out freefitguy.com, unleashthepowerplay.com. At unleashthepowerplay.com, you can find my ebook. At freefitguy.com, you can find more episodes of this podcast. Reach out to me if you have any questions. Don't forget to head over to shamasandals.com backslash human dash animal uh, to grab a pair of their awesome sandals. And I hope y'all have a wonderful new year and we'll see you in 2018.